Hey, listener, we have some quick expo news before we get into the episode this week. Earlier this month, World Dairy Expo announced that we are actively seeking a new general manager upon Scott Bentley's announcement that he will be retiring after eight years with the organization. So if you or someone you know is passionate about the dairy industry, has the skills to help move World Dairy Expo forward, I highly encourage you to check out the position description on our website, worlddairyexpo.com, or on our LinkedIn page. You're also going to find the application details there as well. From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show, Josh. Yeah, thanks, Katie. appreciate you having me. Well, this is the last episode of 2021 and uh, actually our 30th episode of the podcast. So it's kind of great to have you on here with all of the hats that you wear for World Dairy Expo. But you also have a really long history in the dairy industry. So why don't we start by having you share a little bit about your background and that connection to agriculture that you do have, Josh? Absolutely. And I mean, you say that I have a long history in the dairy industry. I don't feel that old, but I guess I... I did cross the 40-year-old threshold earlier this year, so I guess I'm getting to that point in my career. But I often tell people um, that I love cows and I love the people who also love cows, and that's really been kind of what I've used to guide my career through the dairy industry. So I grew up on a a small farm in Pennsylvania. My dad milked cows in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, Um, and I'm actually at least the fifth generation in my family to be involved in dairy farming. Um, That's at least as far back as we've uh, gotten it traced. My brothers and I, I guess probably most um, notably connected to World Dairy Expo, have had a group of Brown Swiss called Brothers 3 Brown Swiss, um, which we started in 1991. Uh, This is actually the 30th anniversary of Brothers 3 Brown Swiss. And we kind of got started when I, um, we had some whole scenes and weren't really successful in the show ring showing our whole scenes. And I kind of looked across the way and noticed that there's only one or two brown Swiss in the whole brown Swiss show. And I told my parents that I wanted one of those brown ones. Um, and they um, supported that dream and I guess that vision that I had at nine years old and um, bought me um, a brown Swiss and bought my brother one too. And, and we've been showing brown Swiss since then and have been able to do that kind of all over the country, including at World Dairy Expo for quite a while now. And I added uh, Ayrshires into my life uh, when I married my wife, Casey, in 2009. So there are probably worse breeds that I could have added through marriage. Ayrshires isn't too bad. Casey and I live on a small hobby farm in eastern Wisconsin uh, right now. I graduated from Penn State um, in agriculture business management in uh, 2003. And I moved to Wisconsin to work for Hordes Dairymen. And I said at the time that I'd probably move to Wisconsin for probably three to five years and then head back home. Um, And here we are 18 years later, and I'm still here. Uh, I worked for Hordes for a while and then Filament Marketing, Bader Rudder, and now I've been at Cargill uh, for the last seven years. So that's kind of my, uh, that brings us to today. Speaking of today, you sit on Expo's Board of Directors. You're also on um, the Commercial Exhibitor Committee. So. We have talked a lot over the last year, and something that continually comes up is that you have this irrational love for World Dairy Expo are the words that you use. So why do you say that? Why is that the case? 
You know, um, I probably call it irrational because I don't know if I should care about something as much as I do World Deer Expo, but it really just is my favorite week of the year. Um, and it has been that way for a long time. And I think there's probably two big reasons why. The first one is if I think about a lot of the best memories that I've had personally, I've had professionally, um, a lot of them happened at Expo. And whether that's, you know, classes or champions we won showing, um, successful campaign launches in the trade show, We've had some big public relations wins that I've been involved in um, through uh, agency life. A lot of big moments that I've had throughout my career have Expo played a big role in them in some shape or form. So it's always had that like it's a marker in the fall of, of things that are important and, and to get ready for. I think the other reason, you know, more personally than that is when I first came to World Dairy Expo in 1996, I was 15 years old. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I knew that I liked showing cows and, and that was kind of the first thing that I was ever really good at. Um, but I didn't necessarily know that there was a career for that or in the dairy industry broader than that. And I left Madison um, with a fire for the dairy industry that hasn't gone out. And I think that I have such an irrational love for Expo and, you know, I'm involved in it like I am because... I want the next 15-year-old without a life plan that comes to World Dairy Expo to get the same fire uh, lit like I did in Madison. So I think that that's why I have such a love for the show. Yes, this sounds very rational to me. Not, not okay. irrational whatsoever. <laughs> As a regularly attending uh, person of Expo, whether you're exhibiting or just attending, what are some of your favorite activities to do while you're here in Madison? Yeah, and I'm glad that you made that plural because when I've had to answer this question in the past, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to make me pick one thing. Um, there's probably, I could come up with something for every day, but you know, being involved in the show as a trade show exhibitor, uh, which I have been more or less throughout my whole career, um, and then as a dairy cattle exhibitor, which we more or less have been um, since we first came to the show, you know, years ago now, um, I guess I probably have a list of, you know, must-dos throughout the week, if you will. The Brown Swiss Parade of Champions is is high on that list, right? It's all the pageantry, it's all of the the um, yodeling, and there's, you know, there's there's just so much history to it, right? And, and with my family's interest in Brown Swiss, I'm, you know, always keenly interested to see who's going to be the best Brown Swiss in the world uh, crowned that day. So, that's a big one. Um, you know, I love being in our Cargill booth um, and having people come by. There's just something fun about, you know, visiting with people. And, and when you put a lot of heart into, you know, a trade show booth or an activity that you've got planned, there's a lot of expectation. You want to see how people respond to it. Um, and that's one of my favorite things as well. I didn't go to Madison, but I have appreciation for the Badger Dairy Club. Um, cheese, and, uh, Grilled cheese and milkshake, of course. So, that's on the list. Supreme Champions on the list. Uh, Hordes Dairyman Commercial Exhibitor Party is where I get to see a lot of contacts that I don't get to see too often throughout the year. So, you know, any of those I think are, are some of my things that I always make sure that I do throughout the week. But really, there's nothing better than when you're walking. This almost always happens when you're walking from the exhibition hall to the Coliseum or the other direction, and you just run into somebody that you haven't seen in a really long time. And I think Expo this year, this was especially true because we didn't have a show in 2020, right? 
and you run into somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, like I haven't seen you in so long. Um, you know, of course we've got social media. So like, I know the big life things, but like, you know, genuinely asking somebody how they're doing and spending a few minutes just catching up. That's my favorite part of World Dairy Expo. Yeah. And it feels like you saw them just yesterday, even though you only see them once a year. It's those types of people. Yeah. It's something about like when you have like a shared passion, right? Like you just connect with people that you either haven't seen in a long time or that you've never met. And then suddenly like five minutes later, you're best friends, right? Like it's just like that shared passion um, is just good for the soul for me. Um, And I feel like a lot of other people that I talk to say the same thing. Yeah, I definitely think that's a relatable, relatable feeling to have. So I also have to ask Josh, what's your favorite memory? Because you've, again, you've been here for a while, and I'm sure you're going to struggle to whittle this down to one as well. But what's your favorite thing? Yeah, you know, Katie, this, um, as I was like trying to think about, you know, Expo and some memories that I've had over the past years, this was definitely the hardest one in the, you know, few, the questions you gave me to think about before we got on here, which I appreciate that, you know, we've had some champion stuff that, that I never would have thought that we would have achieved. We've had, um, we had a trade show booth a couple years ago when we had some live feed art in it that I was, was really, really proud of. And people really responded well too, but I'm going to actually pick a memory from this year. And maybe that's because it's like, so like fresh in my mind, right? And um, but this year we had a brown Swiss heifer whose name was Woodford. Um, it was a summer yearling. And when you have a heifer kind of throughout the year, like Casey and I always have these conversations of like, when did you really believe that she was good? Like when you look watch him every day, like when did you have that moment of like, oh, like she could be a really, really good one? And that was pretty early for her. Um, she was very successful through the spring show, did really well at our state show. Um, and leading up to Madison, I had like an anticipation of showing that heifer that I hadn't had in a long time because there's having good ones and then there's having ones that, I mean, they could win their class um, or they could do more than that. And that's that's not something, we only have a small group of animals here. Right now we have four at our house. So we don't have too many uh, at one time, but my favorite memory of Expo, at least for this past year, and it's going to stay with me for a while is Right before we went into the ring, um, I was leading her, was in the ring, and Casey came down. She had kind of come down and was down on the on the rail. And we had a moment where like we looked at each other and I thought she was gonna cry. Um, then that made me almost ready to cry. And it was a moment of like pride in that, you know, we did this. We brought this heifer to the ring. She looked, she looked amazing. Um, you know, and we did that. Um, and you know, after that, I think that's all you can hope for when you take a heifer or a cow down to the ring is to have them there in a way that you're incredibly proud of them. And then after that, you know, it's up to the judge that day. So she ended up second in her class, um, which is, uh, you know, pretty good for a small little farm, um, like we have. And, um, you know, I just, that moment has like stayed with me and is that feeling of pride is one that I, um, is certainly one of my favorite memories. Standing second is is no uh, small feat uh, at Expo. So absolutely congratulations. And I think that's yeah, a, a fitting favorite memory of Expo. So I also want to talk about a little bit this colliding of worlds that you have at Expo between being a dairy cattle exhibitor, being a trade show exhibitor, also sitting on the board. 
what do you think every dairy cattle exhibitor wished the trade show exhibitor knew and vice versa? You know, Katie, I think this is a really important question um, because I think it's important to remember that we need both for World Dairy Expo to be the event that it is. There are other trade shows out there and I've been to a bunch of them and there are other cattle shows out there and I've been to a bunch of them as well. But the combination of the two at the intensity with which it's being done is what I think makes Expo an event um, that that really draws people's attention in a way that that other trade shows or other cattle shows just don't. And what I think is sad is that I think that the trade show and the cattle show groups are really drifting further apart every year. And I don't think that's healthy for the show. Um, so I appreciate this question and, and thought about it. And what I would say is, you know, as a trade show exhibitor, what I would want the cattle show people to know is you would be surprised how much it would mean for a trade show exhibitor for you to just spend a couple hours walking around the show and just talking to people. I know it's a busy week. It's a really busy week. Um, and trying to do the trade show and the cattle show in the same week is not something that I would recommend to anybody. But finding a few hours to come and walk around the show, when we talk to trade show exhibitors and say, hey, how do you gauge whether the show was successful or not? The number one thing they consistently say is how many people stop by and talk to me. So as a cattle show exhibitor, that matters. Um, and I would encourage you to, to do that. So then flipping it around for the other side, you know, as a, as a cattle exhibitor, what I would want a trade show exhibitor to do or what I would want them to know is just come like watch a class or, you know, better yet, come watch a champion and just take a minute to appreciate the passion that is in the show ring with the people that are in there competing. You know, I don't think there's anything like it in the U.S. dairy industry. And I think that if you stop and think about it and appreciate it for a minute, you'll realize that's what make the, makes this industry something that's worth caring so much about. It's the passion that you and I talked about earlier, right? Like it's on display right there and it's, um, it's on display there in a really incredible way. And, and I think that if you're a trade show exhibitor and you've never had taken that opportunity, I would encourage you to do so. Yeah, I think I had te like tears in my eyes watching the first champion moment of 2022 or 2021 happen. Just like realizing that all of these people who care so much are back again. They're they're doing what they're so good at. And then, you know, I also cried as I was watching the trade show happen and all of these pieces come together. So I agreed. I think there's passion on both sides and I would love for them to understand each other and the fact that you do understand both is one of the reasons why we actually had you co-chair the 2022 schedule changes. So I guess going into the 2022 or a couple of days away now, what are those changes and maybe how did we get there? How did you and the committee balance the, the desires of both exhibitor groups as well as the attendees? Yeah, absolutely, Katie. And this um, this is something I would say that has been in the background for a while through the Commercial Exhibitor Committee. And, and I was one of a few people that um, were really charged with trying to figure this out. So I think it's important to remember that the trade show um, is really the most critical part of the financial success of World Dairy Expo. If you look at the finances of the show, um, that's a really critical piece of it. 
And without a successful trade show, having a successful World Dairy Expo is pretty difficult. And the trade show exhibitors for at least the last five years were pretty unanimous in requesting that the trade show be shorter. A five-day trade show is incredibly long. I'm not aware of any other trade shows in other, um, at least in dairy, that are, are that long. And there was a request to shorten it. And we started this process over a year ago. Ironically, the first meeting that we had about it was what would have been Monday of World Dairy Expo 2020. Um, so there was like this sadness in my heart as I drove past the expo grounds to get to the expo offices with a charge of trying to figure out how, a how to have a shorter World Dairy Expo. Because I've told a lot of people if it could be two weeks long, I'd be there for all 14 days. But that wasn't what we were asked to do. What we ended up doing was, was truly trying to look at it from a lot of different angles. What we started with was, okay, what are things that are non-negotiables? What are things that have to stay the way that they are? And then what are things that are we could look at? Some of the things that we looked at, we ultimately decided were non-negotiables. And then some of the things that we looked at that we were like, yeah, I think that that could be a possibility. We pursued those paths. And it was really a process where we got people involved from the cattle show, from the trade show to really look at it and say, what would it take to shorten the show by a day? Um, and your logical choices then are Tuesday and Saturday, right? And I know there was a lot of question around why did Saturday be the day that ultimately got you know, cut off the end? Um, and if you look at the attendance data over the last, I'm going to say at least four years, Saturday has been the lowest attended day at World Dairy Expo through that whole time period. Now, that might be a surprise to a lot of people because if you go into the Coliseum and just kind of take a look around, you're like, whoa, this place is packed. Um, but I can tell you as somebody that has worked the trade show Saturday afternoon at World Dairy Expo is not well attended. And, and I always felt like as an exhibitor, that that left a, a kind of a poor taste in your mouth of my trade show experience if I spend the last four hours of the trade show trying to find a college football game to watch on my big screen that should be showing people things about my company that the people weren't there. Um, so what we ultimately did was decide to remove Saturday um, because we wanted to maintain the integrity of the show ring and knowing that there's only so much time of the day that you can show cows and be fair to the volunteers and staff and everybody else. We just basically moved everything in the cattle show ahead one day. So if you think about where your show was, it's now there are some changes to that. It's more or less just moved ahead one day. So if you used to arrive in Madison on Friday to bed up, then you'll bed up on Thursday. If you used to arrive in Madison earlier than that, etc. basically everything shifts ahead one day. There were some changes then to the dairy breed schedule to kind of address some issues in the show ring relative to some of the classes just didn't fit anymore in half the ring. So that ultimately changed the breed rotation. But fundamentally, we knew that we needed to get to a four-day trade show. And we knew that a four-day cattle show wasn't going to work. So things got shifted around to accommodate those. And I think that that solution is the best choice for where we're at right now with World Dairy Expo. I think you know people have this feeling in their mind a little bit sometimes of like, well, it's changed like it's going to be this way forever. I doubt it is, Katie. Like our dairy industry is changing rapidly. World Dairy Expo is changing, is going to change with it, right? And it needs to change with it so that, you know, 15 years from now, when the next 15-year-old comes to World Dairy Expo and is trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life, the show still means as much to the industry 
then as it does now, as it did when I was there at that age. So that's why those changes were made. I think that, you know, there's still a lot of um, questions that are out there, but I would encourage you to think about basically doing everything that you've always done one day earlier and then kind of look at the schedule from there. It's not the first time that we've changed the schedule of World Dairy Expo. It's the first time I've been a part of it because I've only been on staff for five years. But, you know, it's not the first time Expo has changed in this way, right? It started as a 10-day event back in 1967, which still blows my mind that they did this for 10 days. I would be exhausted. So I think that's important to remember, right? This is not our first change. We evolve. We need to meet where the industry is at, like you said, like in 15 years. We need to be a healthy organization for that 15-year-old who doesn't know what to do. And I think the other part that I want to call attention to while we're talking about this is that we announced these changes just prior to the 2021 show. And we did that so that conversations could happen the week of Expo, so that while we were all gathered in one place, we could openly discuss what this meant. And those discussions have actually led to new changes that happened at the beginning of December during our committee and board meeting. So there's actually new changes uh, specifically to the breed show rotation. Those are are still evolving. We're still trying to to fit the best schedule together that we can. So like you said, I think people, you know, go into it open-minded in 22. It's going to be great still. It's still going to be the World Dairy Expo you love, but it's just going to sit on a different day. Speaking of change... This is the time of year that people are looking at change. A lot of times you go into the new year and you're like, okay, what am I going to do different this year? And sometimes that means new career paths, students are looking for internships. So I want to talk a little bit about your career. Walk us through kind of that path that you've taken and what it is you do uh, in your role at Cargill as the strategic marketing lead for dairy. So I kind of mentioned earlier, I'm on a three to five year plan that's 18 years deep, um, but we've made some changes to that too. Um, so I've spent my career in different storytelling and marketing roles, uh, all in dairy. Um, and I used to tell people that what I did for Cargill was that I was the word wizard at Cargill, um, but I kind of do a bit more than that uh, now. Um, so I'm the strategic marketing lead for Cargill, um, animal nutrition in the dairy space for the U.S. and Canada. So what I do in that role is I lead a team um, that's responsible for basically all aspects of product innovation and marketing. So think all the way from new ideas that we're going to pursue, looking at things that are happening in the dairy industry, looking at regulatory changes and figuring out what ideas that sparks or opportunities we could create all the way through product development, research, um, and then ultimately branding, marketing, advertising, and, and bringing them to the market. Um, and I'm lucky to work with a team of, you know, who I think are some of the best marketers in the dairy industry. Um, and our, our mission every day is to try to bring new ideas and, and opportunities to our uh, cargo animal nutrition customers. Um, you mentioned the intern program. I do also work um, some with the intern program and involved in uh, recruitment and then um, supervision of interns. Um, as well. We actually had uh, one that was really great that was with us last summer um, that worked with us during the show and is going to be starting with us uh, next month. That is the right kind of success story for an internship. So what kind of skills are you seeing in people, you know, while you're looking for interns or while you're looking for people to join your team that make them successful marketers and communicators? Yeah. And I think Katie, you know, this, like the challenge of being a marketer in the dairy industry is a little different, I think, than it is 
um, at least in non-agriculture roles. I think that the, um, the expectations in terms of the customers you're trying to connect with are, are really high. So I think the first thing that you have to have is a passion for what we're doing. I think people in our industry can tell right away if you're not as all in as they are. And they're not always the most forgiving either when they notice that at the beginning. So I have a quote on my whiteboard that's been there for more than a decade. Um, and it says, do it with passion or not at all. Because I think that that's the cost of entry of being a successful marketer, communicator in the dairy industry. You know, technically, I think you have to be a good writer. Um, I think that that's just such a foundational skill. And, and you might say, well, we write everything in, you know, 240 characters or less now or, you know, sound bites. But, you know, if you think about the ways that writing gets used, whether that's through email communication, social media, um, public relations writing, I think that writing is a core skill that you've got to have if you want to be a great communicator. And I would encourage you to practice a lot. Um, research says that it takes 10,000 hours to be a master at something. Um, so if you're going to be a writer or communicator in the dairy industry, figure out a way to practice. The last one that I would say that I really personally look for um, is genuine self-confidence. Um, you know, I think that that's one of the most appealing things in, in when we're interviewing, whether for a full-time candidate or for an intern. One of my favorite podcasters is a guy named Ed Milet, um, who's kind of a business guru, podcast guy, motivational speaker guy. And one of the, my favorite quotes of his is that you build self-confidence by making promises to yourself and then keeping them. And I, I firmly believe that. So when someone comes into an interview and has like, like a, a real self-confidence, not a big ego or a bravado, right? But like you can sense the difference between the two. They set themselves apart. Sure. Yeah. I like that quote. That's good. So what kind of advice would you offer young people who want to venture down this path of agriculture, communications, and marketing? Yeah, for sure. So in addition to just find a way to practice writing, like just get started. There's probably two other things that come to mind. First is to try to find a mentor. Find somebody that's going to believe in you. I always tell people that when you're picking your first job, I think it's more important to pick the mentor or the manager rather than necessarily what the job's going to be. Because if you start your career with somebody that believes in you, and is going to help promote you and find opportunities for you. Um, you're going to grow your skills, whether or not that job was like your dream job or ideally suited for where you wanted to start your career. So um, I would say start with finding a mentor. And, and I think that there's a lot of people like myself, probably like you, that love mentoring young people that are trying to get into the same field that we've got such a passion for, right? The second one then is a quote that we like at Cargill, um, which is to do the ordinary extraordinarily well. Um, and I can't think of a better way to say that all of the work that, that we get to do um, or you're given in a role is worth doing well. Um, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm in Pennsylvania um, for my dad, for my grandfather, like Hard work was about the most fashionable thing to them. And it was definitely the best way to earn their trust and respect, right? And, and I think that's still true in business today. So the best advice that I can give to somebody that's young in their career 
is to do even the most ordinary projects uh, extraordinarily well. Because um, I think that that's the most proven way to earn future opportunity and advancement from there. Well, it sounds like uh, our young people have a way to set some goals going into 2022. Find a mentor and figure out how to do things extraordinarily. I, I think that's kind of a great way to put all this together, Josh, unless there's anything else you want to add on these topics. I don't think so. Are you, are you a New Year's resolution goal setter, Katie? You know, I, I have not been. I think I need to be or I need to start figuring out how to be. I think it, it would be good for me to start um, identifying small goals that I can just continually accomplish. But I, I'm normally just more of a big picture. Things are going to happen. I'm going to live each day and I kind of roll with it. Do you have goals aligned for 22? Not yet. Um, I need to get them done. But what I what I try to do, if it's helpful for you as you think about it, is try to think of like personal ones and professional ones um, and make sure you have a balance, right? Because you don't want to overweight yourself one way or the other. As I've um, put together mine over the last few years, that's been a pretty helpful tip. So yeah, I would uh, definitely encourage you to give it a shot. I like that. All right. Well, I've got homework for the last few days of 2021 and uh, hopefully listeners do as well. So thank you, Josh, for taking the time to join us. Yeah. Thanks for having me and uh, happy new year, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 